I invite you to have a seat, and will you please join me in prayer? Uh, God, before we open uh, your book, uh, before we open your word, uh, we acknowledge we live in a world who has a deep need for the love, for the truth that is in your word, because there are walls that are dividing us in so many ways. Political division. Color of skin division. Denominational division. Difference in our beliefs of other faiths that divide us and create hostility and anger. God, we, we pray you would forgive us even for the atrocities in New Zealand this past week of people who don't agree with us or believe with us, where, where hatred was unleashed and violence in ways that builds more walls. And God, we pray by the power of your cross unleashed in us and your word taught to us that you will use us to lower walls to help us to love each other even those we might call our enemies even as Christ did on the cross and it's in his name that we pray amen if you have your Bibles I invite you to find Daniel chapter 6 uh, if you're in the house, they'll raise some hands. You can find one in that way from the sanctuary. You need one. There's one uh, in the pew right there in front of you. If you're at True Worth, I think you have some Bibles scattered out you can get. And if you're watching online, hopefully you have access to the Scriptures. Uh, Daniel is an Old Testament book. It's toward the back of the Old Testament. Table of Contents is always a great way to find it. You can also kind of turn to the very back of the Old Testament, make your way back to the left. You'll find it pretty quick. It's the last long book in the Old Testament. Uh, before we dive into the scriptures, uh, we are in a message series we're calling Now Connected. It's the second week. It's a prayer series. And I want to say thank you to some of you. Some of you stopped me on the street this week. I received some texts. I received some emails. And you were to say, man, man, last week was so helpful to me. Thank you. I never thought about prayer in that, in that manner. Uh, you know, like Moses, just raising my hands to God and saying, help, like a 17-month-old baby, you know. Hey, Papa, Papa, help me, help me. And God responds, you never thought about it that way. And some of you said you found that helpful, and you even tried that. I had some folks who told me before they got out of their car to go into the office, they just stopped and said, okay, God, I need some help today. And they felt like they had some power from God when they went into work. And some guy on a construction site, he said, every time I got to the next construction site, uh, before I got out of my truck, I just stopped and said, okay, God, uh, help me here. And he felt like he had some power. And I heard from several moms who said, man, uh, there goes kids, help me, God. <laughs> you know? And uh, they, they found that helpful, too. So I'm just going to ask you, please, church, uh, keep acting like 17-month-old kids and just raising your arms to God saying, Papa, 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 and just see, see what God does. Uh, I encourage you to do that. Uh, and I also had some questions about prayer, uh, lots, of, lots of questions about prayer. Uh, one of the questions was, what should I say when I pray? I really have no idea. What should I pray? How do I start? What do I do? Um, someone asked, do you pray to God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit? I'll be answering that one real quickly. I just say when you're going to pray, you don't know who to pray to, you just say, hey, God. And then God will get it where it needs to go. I mean, there's a Holy Spirit Trinity, God the Father. You don't need to worry about that, okay? You get worried and all tied up and not about things that really don't matter to God. God will get it to the right department, whether it's Jesus or the Holy Spirit. Just pray to God, okay? Don't worry about that. Uh, what kind of posture do I have when I pray? 
Uh, the most frequent question was, though, how disciplined should I be in my prayer life? Uh, should I have a regular routine? Or is it okay just to pray willy-nilly, you know, whenever I'm led, you know, spontaneously? Or should it be kind of a structured sort of thing? Or should it be I just stop, drop, and pray whenever the Spirit moves me? You know, what, what, what should happen? So I'm hoping to answer all these questions over the course of the next six weeks. We have five more, counting this one, uh, in our series. Uh, and I'm going to give you definitive answers, I hope. Come back at me if you don't get the answers that you need because they're really good questions. Uh, but I want to respond to one question, the one question, the most frequent question about the routine and the discipline thing today. And to do that, we got to go back in the scriptures in the Old Testament to one of the oldest childhood scriptures, uh, stories of the Bible. And so we're going to be in Daniel, and that's, that, that's where we're going and I'm going to tell you that this, this story here is like a made-for-Netflix movie. It really is. I'm hoping you see it that way before it's done because this, this thing has colorful characters, uh, all different kinds of characters. It's got suspense. It's got tension. It's got dramatic twist. It's got a surprise ending. It has everything but sex, everything. And I know men... I saw some men go, whoop, when I popped up. Men, stay with me anyway, okay? I'm sorry, this is not in the story, but stay with me. There's no romance, there's no love story in this particular thing, but it's powerful. And so our main character is Daniel. And uh, when we read the story right here in Daniel chapter 6, by the time we get there, he is 85 years of age. Now, I'm about to give you four things about Daniel that we're going to learn from this story. There's so much more. I'm just going to give you four. I'm going to give you quick. But what you need to know is that Daniel was kidnapped at a very early age. He was an Israelite, kidnapped from Jerusalem, some of his college buddies at the same time, and they were taken into a godless culture, a foreign land whose culture and traditions and practices were very certifiably strange. And here's the first thing I want you to know about Daniel. Daniel did not play, he refused to play the victim card. You know how some people, when bad things happen to them with their childhood, and their whole life they blame their childhood? And they blame, oh, oh my gosh, if I hadn't been born here, if this hadn't happened, blah, 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 blah. He never did that. He refused to play the victim card at any time of his life. And this is how he did it, because he made a decision. Here's the second thing I want to tell you. He decided to lean into his faith in God, even in a godless, secular work environment, okay? He is in this godless land, and they put him to work. And he is there, really, that they have him to use him to work. And so he made a decision. Hey, I'm not going to lay down for God. I'm going to stand up for my God, even this godless work environment. I'm going to give glory to God in everything that I do. I'm going to do my job the very best that I can. I know many of you do the same thing. Tomorrow morning, some of you are getting up, many of you are going to work. And you're going to think, okay, God, how can I approach my job with wisdom, with courage, be winsome, kind of lighthearted for you in a way that brings honor to you. And I know many of you try to do that. And I know you do because I had an employer in the area here who stopped me. Uh, and we were having a conversation here not too long ago. And he said, hey, listen, I just need to tell you, uh, I got several people from Pathway who work for us. And they're some of the most honest, hardworking people I have on our payroll. He said, I don't know what you're doing, but keep it up. And I said, all we do is put stuff in the water and they drink it. And they just come out that way. They don't even know it. They don't even know it. He said, well, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it. But I'm just trying to tell you, church, I know many of you do that. And that's what Daniel had made a commitment to do. He said, you know, in this godless land, in this godless job that I have, I am going to be 
the best I can be. I'm going to take every assignment they give me, even if I don't want it. And I'm going to give my absolute best at my job. I'm going to give glory to God by doing my job with excellence. So much so, they're going to ask me, hey, listen, why are you working so hard? Why are you pushing the envelope? What drives you? And when they ask, he said, I'm going to tell them. I'll let them know. It's God. I'm doing it for him. Now, this is what takes us to Daniel chapter 6, okay? Now we kind of walk through quickly the first five chapters, and we're in Daniel chapter 6. And in chapter 6, we see a time that Daniel's career has taken a twist. Now he's working in the political arena. He's working for the government. And the high, more responsibility they give him in the government, the more he leans into his faith, the more he rises to the challenge, the more glory he gives to God, and he's on this upward spiral in his career. You know, you ever been there? You've been in a job, and you're just, you're exponentially going to the next level, and you're rising quicker than anybody, and that's what was happening to him in this particular job situation. Now, right here in Daniel chapter 6, there's a new king, there's a new boss, and this new boss, you know, a new king, hey, I, got, I don't know if I want the old guys on my payroll. I'm going to interview him first to see if the old king's team I want to have on my king. So he interviews them all. And the scripture tells us that right there in verse, in verse 3, really what it says. After he interviewed Daniel, he said, man, this guy, he's the best. I mean, Daniel's the best. He has the highest integrity, his work performance, his HR review, his performance review. It's off the chain. A person of integrity, he doesn't bring drama. He's not a part of the problem. He doesn't bring a lot of junk into the workplace. He just handles himself with impeccable honor and character. He's a team player. It's not about him. It's all about the purpose, and he does it so well. He says, you know what? This guy's got to be one of my top three. But he doesn't tell anybody. He's made a decision. Not only is he going to be top three, I'm going to make him the highest. And that's what it says in verse 3. Almost like prime minister. The high, but he doesn't tell anybody. But he's in the top three. Now, here's what happens. This is when the drama in our made-for-Netflix movie really gets, it kind of picks up steam. Because some people get jealous. His colleagues get jealous. The people he outperformed on the job because they were a little lazy, cutting corners, and he refused to cut corners. Don't you hate those people, you know? And they did, and they got jealous of him. I'm not talking about a little bit jealous. I'm talking about jilted lover jealous. I'm talking about insanely jealous. I'm talking about walk on the ground, hate it, you walk on jealous. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever had that kind of jealous situation in your life? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I know if you've got caught up in the jealousy, you know it can be ugly, and you do stuff, you say stuff that you wouldn't normally do. That's the negativity and the danger of jealousy, and they think, you know what, we got this professional jealousy against him, they're not aware of it, they say, we got to get him. We got to get that, Daniel. We deserve that promotion, not him. And that's what happens in verse 4. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs. You know what they did. They spread a little money around. Hey, listen, I'll give you a little of this. Tell me. Tell me what you got on Daniel. Because after all, in the government, everybody's correct, corrupt, right? Everybody's got some dirty laundry that eventually will make made known that people are going to find out about. And so that's what they try to find out on Daniel. But look what finds out the rest of the verse. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. 
because he was trustworthy, neither corrupt nor negligent. That's the third thing I would tell you about Daniel. He was trustworthy in everything that he did. Trustworthy. I just wonder if I had the ability to call every one of your employers, the people you directly work for, and I could ask them, tell me two or three things about X, about Y, about whoever. I wonder if they would say, listen, I will tell you, they are trustworthy in everything. Impeccable trust. What a, what an attribute, what a character trait. But then they get an idea. This gives his jealous colleagues an idea because Daniel did not keep it a secret that he was living his life for God. And neither should we. Neither should we, even at work. Jimmy Carter, before he became president, got involved in the political arena. He owned his own business, a family business. And somebody came up to him and they said, uh, Mr. Carter, if you were indicted for being a Jesus follower, would they have enough evidence to convict you? That question rocked his world. He came to church every Sunday. Didn't miss. He taught perhaps then was the largest Sunday school class in the United States of America. Could be. He was one of the largest. And yet he would say, you know what? In the workplace, there was not enough evidence to convict me of being a follower of Jesus. That so got a hold of him. It reoriented his commitment to God and how he lived his life out there in the secular, godless world in which we live. Here's the fourth thing I want you to know about Daniel. Daniel's prayer practices were predictable and publicly known. There was lots of evidence, lots, mountains, that Daniel was being faithful to God in everything that he did. And that's what gave him the idea because they knew that prayer was a major part of Daniel's life. And look, and look what happens right here. They go, hey, hey, hey. Finally, these men said they were so disappointed. They go, hey, we're never going to find any basis for charges against this man. He is so good unless it has something to do with his law of his God. Huh. So they had this idea, this incredible idea to use his strength against him. And look what they did. They had this idea, they go to the king, his boss, the one who loves him so much, and down there in verse 7, they go down to the king, all of them, they go to the king and say, hey, king, uh, you should issue an edict, and you should enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or any human during these next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, while they should be thrown into the lion's den. Now, lion's den, that's a code word for death penalty. No one went into the lion's den and came out alive. No one. It was death penalty. Hey, all of his colleagues, they knew when Daniel prayed. There was no question. In fact, the whole town knew when he prayed. Everybody knew. It was not a secret. Lots of evidence. Three times a day, he would go to the second floor of his house. He would open up the windows that faced Jerusalem. He would get down on his knees. And he would pray to God. I mean, just like a clockwork. Every, that's what he'd been doing since a kid. Since he had been brought over into this godless land, he knew that was the only way to stay connected. He could survive. And that's what he did. Year after year. Decade after decade. 
That's what gave him the idea. Hey, we're going to pass this legislation that you cannot pray to anyone but the king because they knew that Daniel was going to pray to his God. They go, gotcha. So the king hears that. He goes, hey, I kind of like that idea. Really? People are going to worship me? People are going to pray to me? They're going to bow down to me? Hey, I'm going I'm to pass this bill. In fact, I'm going to sign it. Some leaders got a little ego, don't they? Some bosses. They're going, yeah, we got it. We got it. They all knew. But we're told right here in verse 10, when Daniel learned, Daniel learned, he learned, he figured out what was happening. When the decree was passed, his colleagues, they checked their watches, they go, okay, it's about time for Daniel to pray. Let's go catch him so we're ready. So they run. But in the meantime, somebody tips Daniel off. Because that's what's happened in government, right? There are intentional leaks to tip people off. And so Daniel finds out. And the guy says, hey, listen, Daniel, the movie's picking up steam here. Daniel, listen, do not pray in your usual time, in your usual place. Don't you do it. You heard about the decree. It's a trap. It's a setup. And the king has passed this law. He has written it. He has signed it. He cannot get out of it. If you pray, you're done. I know the king loves you, but he can't get out of this deal. Now, Daniel, being a leader, high-level leader, he stops and he thinks. Could, could I, could I, I wish I had more time here to talk about this. Leaders stop and think strategically. Leaders don't emotionally react. They think. If you're the boss, you think. Not get sucked into the drama. So he thinks, strategies, what are my options? What are my strategy options? Well, okay, I could, I could go and not pray for 30 days. After all, God's not legalistic about this prayer thing, and God knows I love him. And so if I went 30 days without praying, no big deal. I could do that. That'd be okay. That'd be an option. That's what I did. Another idea is I could just pray walking up and down the street three times a day. I could do that. Nobody would know I'm praying. Nobody could take any pictures of me. I'd be praying. Nobody would know. I mean, after all, I do that. You probably do that all the time. I'm in meetings. I'm in the meeting. I'm focusing on the meeting. I'm listening. But I'm also praying, God, give me wisdom and direction on how to speak into the meeting. So you can do multitask in prayer. You can do that. Or he could pray somewhere else. Why does he have to pray on the second floor with the windows open? Why the, hey, I could pray downstairs on my couch, take a nap. I could pretend I'm napping. People would think I'm asleep, but I could be praying. But God would know. Nobody else would know. And I could be okay. Wouldn't that be an option? Sure, that'd be an option. Hey, here's another strategy. Hey, I could pray a protest prayer. I could grandstand. I could call the media, let them know about my prayer, tell them about this injustice, my jealous buddies, and this boss who's done this crazy thing. And I could call the media, and I could go on my roof. And when they show up, I could pray this loud protest here to embarrass the king and my jealous buddies. Because, oh, we just love embarrassing people, right, when they hurt us. Don't we love doing that publicly to call people out? He does none of those things. You know what he does? 
Look at verse 10. When Daniel had learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. He knew they were watching. He knew the legislation. He knew the consequences. And the scripture says, and he prayed, giving thanks to God just as he had done before. Daniel, what are you doing? All you're doing is saying, feed me to the lion. That's all you're saying. What are you doing, Daniel? What are you doing, Daniel? Is that so smart? The, his colleagues are watching out the window. They take out their phone. Got him. Gotcha. Take the picture, post it on Instagram. It goes viral all over the world. Everybody knows. Everybody knows the law. And now Daniel violated the law. It goes, now we're going to go tell the king. Oh, now it's picking. We're going to go tell the king. Well, we got it. And they get to the king, and the king had already heard. I mean, the king already knew. It's on Instagram, right? Hey, everybody knew. Verse 14, when the king heard this, it says he was greatly distressed. Why? He said, listen, I handpicked this guy. This is the guy of the highest integrity. He is the best of the best on my team. His honor is beyond reproach. His character, and now because of his jealous colleagues and because of my ego and the stupid law that's about me. And the king is just sick and his foolish leadership. And so he goes to Daniel, the scripture says, down here in verse 16. They're lowering Daniel into the dinosaur den. And he comes at the very end of this to Daniel. He says that the king says to Daniel, Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, may he rescue you. And church, that's an amazing statement. This is a godless man in a godless secular culture who now is going, man, Daniel, you stood up for God when nobody else was standing with you. You stood alone. You stood alone for him. You would not compromise your values and your faith. And now I pray, Daniel, the God you stood for, I pray he stands for you, and I pray he rescues you. The story gets more intense. They lower Daniel down into the den. And now I can see Daniel lifting his hands to God. One more prayer. God, like Moses, like a 17-month-old kid, God, uh, would you please shut the mouths of the lion? I think I can make it a night if their mouths are closed. And God, the scripture says, here's his prayer, sends an angel. And there's one job description when God types the little message, you know, sends the email to the angel. It says, job description, keep lion's mouth shut 24 hours. (laughs) Angel shows up, does the job. The king, though, doesn't know it. The scripture says here in the text that in verse 17, I believe it is, 18, the king goes home to his palace. He spends the night. He doesn't eat. He has no entertainment, no Hulu, no HBO, no nothing. He could not sleep. He just talked. He got up the next morning and go, oh, I hope he's okay. I hope he's alive. And the scripture says in verse 23, he was overjoyed when he found out that Daniel was alive. And he gave orders, take Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, notice the detail of the verse, church. Notice the detail. No wound was found on him. Why? Because he had trusted in his God. Is there power when God's people pray and they trust that God hears and answers his prayer? Yes! There is power unleashed. When God's people pray and they trust 
that God will do what he says. You may be wounded and scarred on the outside, but on the inside, your soul, he will rescue you and make you whole and set you free. And Daniel, the king is so impressed with what just takes place. The king does two things. One of them is awful and one of them really good. And the awful one is he's so angry with the jealous colleagues he gathers the colleagues up in their families and folds them in the lion's den, and those lions' mouths open up, and they were hungry, and it ended pretty quick. That was a quick scene in the movie, and they're gone. I mean, they're done. And then the king writes a letter, and this is incredible, to the whole kingdom, commending Daniel, but not just Daniel, but his God. And look at this. It begins at verse 26. The king says, I issue a decree in every part of my kingdom that people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. And he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. No one has ever got escape out of the death penalty alive. No one. And he's alive. Huh. This God rescues people. It's unbelievable. He saves them. But please don't miss the very first part. It's the most important part in verse 26. Worship Daniel's God. That's really what he's saying. Hey, listen, don't worship me. Know that, that, that 30 day thing about praying to me? Stop doing that. Bad idea. I can't answer your prayers. But Daniel's God does. Worship Daniel's God. Serve him. Give your life to him. Follow him. Cut. Stop the movie right there. I'm going to stop right there. This week, in your life steps, you will notice on the back of your notes, you're going to get to read a whole bunch more about Daniel. And I hope you do that a chapter a day. We've got different chapters for you to read. Just find a quiet time to do that and check out the prayer online. Do what the life steps there. I hope you're having an amazing week doing that. But for the time that we have left, there are going to be other, other things about the story you're going to learn. With the time we have left, I want to share my heart with you. And I want to answer the question, and i got to do this quickly, and we're not going to do point E. I'm going to tell you, I'll start off next weekend with point E, okay? I promise we'll start off next weekend with point E. But I want to quickly get you through D here, and this is important. And I want to answer the question, how disciplined should I be in my prayer life? Letter A, serious followers of Jesus have a consistent time and place where they meet with God. I want to repeat that. Serious followers of Jesus have a consistent time. They meet a place, time and place where they meet with God. Hey, I'm all for prayer without ceasing. I'm all for praying on the fly, praying while you're running, praying while you're driving. I'm all for that sort of stuff. But if you're serious about following Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, you will get serious about a time and a place to meet with him daily on a regular basis as the absolute fixture in your life that you will not compromise on, Period. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus taught this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, when you pray, go into your room and close the door and then pray to your Father. In other words, this is the next thing I'd like to teach you about prayer, about letter B, is that there are certain prayers that are to be prayed in private. They just are. That you go into the door, you close the door, and you spend time with the Father. You're not rushed. Your phone's not distracting you. There's no interruptions. Well, you're focused, totally focused on your concentration on your prayer life. I'm going to give you three, 
three different kinds of prayers. I think that gives evidence to the power of this. It's just three. And, and we're going to put them all on the board at one time, and I want to talk about them one at a time. And the first one is meaningful adoration of God. And that is when you go to God and you say, God, God, I love you, God, I really love you. I mean, there are certain times you have things to say to your kids or your spouse. It's so personal. You don't want anybody else to hear it. It's so intimate. It's just between you and your family. And there are some things to God that you have to say that are so personal. You just need to have that time with God. Say, oh, my goodness, God, I can't believe you. You love me that way, and you do that for me. Oh, I'm so humbled, God, by you. And I just break my heart, God, for who you are. And you just have that time. That, that is one. The second one is sensitive confession of sin. If you do not have, if you do not have a time and place where you meet with God on a regular basis and you keep it, here's what will happen when you sin. You're going to do something stupid. And you're going to go, oh, that's my bad. <laughs> Can't believe I did that. That's so unlike me. Won't happen again. Sorry about that. And you're going to go on. And you're going to do it again and again and again and again and again. Because you never let it register deep in your soul that you compromised the value. You compromise part of your belief system about following Jesus and how you treat people. But if you have a committed time and place to meet with God, you stop and you go, hey, you think about your day before, you go, oh, man, uh, I can't believe I said that to her. I can't believe I treated him that way. Man, why did I do that? That's just, that's just not me. That's not right. I mean, and you say, God, I know that's not right. And so you wrestle with the sin. Hey, listen, church, God has already wrestled with your sin. Some of you need to wrestle with your sin in your time with God. And in that time with God, it changes you all, oh, and so better you're transformed, and you don't repeat that behavior. It becomes less likely because I've never seen serious confession of sin done on the fly and change people's lives. I've never seen that. It just doesn't work. And the third one is critical decision-making. Some of you at a crossroads, you have big decisions to make, right? And you need some wise counsel. If you have a set time to go visit with God on a regular basis, when you get there, you don't have to tell God what your decision is and what you hate. God already knows. Every Saturday, Dallas and I go to Sprouts. Every Saturday, we're by Hewlett Mall. You can almost set your clock on it when we go. When I walk in the door and we walk in the door, they say, hi, Mr. Rowan. Hi, Mrs. Owen. Thousands of people go into that place. But like a clock, they know exactly when we're going to walk in. And, they, and I will tell you, God knows when you're going to go. When you walk there, he, he said, oh, I know you. You were here last week. You were here yesterday. Same time, same place. Boom. I know exactly what you need. And you sit there. And you just get quiet. And God, I want to listen for you. Please speak to me. And God, and you write down in your journal just everything you hear. It's amazing how that works. Church, I'm telling you, there are some prayers that you just can't pray while you're driving, while you're texting, while you're talking, while you're walking with other people. You, it just doesn't work that way. I, I, am, I, I am serious as I can be that if you're a serious follower of Jesus Christ, you will get serious about finding a time and place where you meet with God to do serious business with God. And I want to say it again. If you can't tell, I'm serious. And I'm asking you to get serious about that. Daniel figured this out at a very early age. He said, hey, oh my goodness, they kidnapped me and take me to this godless foreign culture in this secular environment. If I'm going to have power to God and give glory to God and perform my job at the highest level, I'm going to need supernatural strength in this secular godless land. I'm going to need supernatural grace, supernatural patience, supernatural forgiveness, endurance. And the only way to have that is to stay connected to the Father because there's nobody here that's going to give it to me. 
I got to stay connected to him so he does the math. Hey, how many times do I do this? Is it five times? Is it four times? Is it three times? I will just tell you, sir, I think Daniel figured it out for his life stage, whatever it meant, and it turned out to be three. Here's all I'm saying in your message notes. Experiment. Experiment. That's letter C, experiment. I think Daniel experimented. Oh, how many times did I do this? One time, two times, three times? And experimented until he found what worked. That kept him connected to God, that filled him with wisdom and knowledge and power and strength to perform to the highest ability that he could in his job. And when he figured that out, he worked it into his schedule. So much so, it was so predictable, they could set their clocks by it. Everybody in town, they knew exactly when he was going to be doing it because it was a part of his lifestyle. He just knew. And more importantly, it was so critical to him that when they threatened to take it away and even to kill him for it, if you, keep, if you do this, you're going to die. He said, uh, well, I guess you're just going to feed me to the lions. Church, every spiritual giant I know Every man and woman who's a game changer for God that I know, you give me five minutes to sit down with them, I can get them to describe to me their prayer strategy. I promise you they can. And they don't do it out of legalism. They do it out of desperation. They're not legalistic. They're desperate. Because they know the only way in a godless land, in a godless culture, in a secular environment, that they can be the man, the woman of integrity and honor and character that God wants them to be is they connected to the Father and everything that they do. They have that connection. They, and they're desperate for it. Nobody puts a gun to their head and say, listen, you better get up tomorrow morning and have your prayer time. Nobody has to force them. They just do it. See, the right question, here's the wrong question. Some of you are asking right now, Pastor, I don't, I don't, am I disciplined enough to pray three times a day in the same time in the same place? Do I have that discipline? Do I have that discipline? That's the wrong question. The question is, do I have the desperation? Is my spiritual sights for myself so high in the standards, godly standards for my life and how I treat people and how is it so high that I am? desperate for the power of God to be unleashed within me daily as a husband, as a wife. Here's the deal. Here's letter D. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to get you out of here quickly. Desperation drives discipline. Church, you can apply that to any area of your life you want to. I can, I can prove it to you. If there's anything I've learned over life in my 60, almost 64 years of living, that desperation Drives discipline in any area of your life. Are you hungry enough to want God to be the very best in you, for you to be the best in your life, in every level of position you have in your life, every relationship? Are you so hungry that you are desperate to be so connected to God, to be your best in everything? To bring honor and glory to God by just by the way you live your life. Are you desperate enough? If you are, you will experiment and find those times and places to meet with God. To receive what only He can give you. But are you desperate enough? There's a man in this church uh, for several years came here to worship just like many of you. 
those in the sanctuary, True Worth, online, just for years, would come here and just sit, and I would call him a nice, tidy, sweet little Christian man. He was a good guy. And he would go to work, and, oh, he's a good guy. But there was no evidence at all that he was really a follower, except that he was a good guy. And uh, he would come here to church, and he would leave, and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know when it happened, but there was one worship time where God messed him up. I mean, God really messed him up. And I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but God got his attention. He said, what, what am I doing with my life? And he had this regular time that he met with God. And he started asking God, what do you want me to do with my life? He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into your job, your work environment, and I want you to love those people. He said, God, I hate my job. He said, I know. Your job is now where I want you to fulfill your purpose for your life in your job. I hate my job. He said, I know. So he just started praying. What did that mean? What did that mean? What did that mean? And that quiet time with God, what does that mean? And God revealed to him uh, what he's supposed to do. And so here's what happened. It totally changed this man's whole life. He, would, he, he, lived, he worked in Dallas. He would get on the bus here in, over here at the drop by the airport and ride it downtown, get on the train and ride the train over to Dallas and have that commute. And he hated that commute. But he started opening his Bible and reading his Bible when he got on the bus all the way into town before he got on the train. Then when he got on the train, he would pray all the way to Dallas before he got off for, by name for people that he worked with. And that God would use him to be a blessing to those people however they needed, whatever. And, and so he started doing this. And over the course of two years, I asked him, well, tell me, how's your job going? He said, I love my job. I said, I thought you hated my job. He said, I did. I love my job. And I started finding out what was happening in that culture. I said, listen, can I go with you sometime? I want to see what's happening. He said, yeah, you can. So I met him at the bus, and I got on the bus, and I started to talk to him. He said, Pastor, you know. I said, oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. I said, I could have taken my car and met you there. I thought we could talk. He said, no, i got to be in the Bible. And so he read his Bible all the way until he got to the train station. And then he got on the train station. He started praying. I said, oh, what the heck? I'll pray too. I wanted to talk to you, but I'll just pray. And so I prayed all the way there. We got there. When he walked into the office, uh, I could tell quickly how much this man was loved. Because when he called people's name, they went. And this was all morning long, and we had lunch together. I said, man, tell me. I, this is incredible. I could tell they love you and they respect you. He said, yeah, I love my job. We got on the train to come back. He brought his Bible and started reading the Bible again. He gets into Fort Worth and gets on the bus to come down. He starts praying, God, help me before I get home to be the husband that my wife needs me to be. Clear my mind, clear my heart. So when I walk in those doors... I can be the man she needs, and I can be the man my children need, not junk, not all full of garbage, not coming in with all my stuff. Ah, help me, God. I thought, wow. Totally changed his life. That bus ride and that train ride, Bible and prayer. And I will tell you, church, if somebody told him, hey, listen, you got to stop reading your Bible and praying on the train and the bus. You know what he would have said? You have to feed me the lions. Because I am desperate for what happens in that time with the Lord. Here's my challenge. 
I have too many people ask, Pastor, what's the minimum amount I have to read the Bible? What's the minimum amount I have to pray? What's the minimum amount I have to go to church? What's the minimum amount I have to give? What's the minimum amount I have to serve? And I go, really? You're going to ask that question? Really? Are you going to ask that question? What's the minimum amount I have to do? What if we change the question? What's the maximum that God can use in my life between today and I die to use me to bless other people? What's the maximum? What's the maximum I can do for God? What's the maximum I can spend in his presence? What's the maximum? What would happen in your life? If you change that, I'll tell you what would happen. You would push the reset button. And you would be desperate to find the time and the place, whatever worked for you, to be connected to God in that way. It will change your family. change the world. Would you please stand? Sanctuary, true work, would you please stand? God, in a few hours, there's some people here who can hear my voice who are going to be going into a secular, godless work environment. Jobs that they hate, jobs they question, leadership that is questionable, cultures that are very unhealthy. And God, I pray between now and then, even in families where there's so much walls raised that you will compel some men and women, some, to find a place and time. And you will fill them with the power and the courage and the wisdom they need to stand up for you and who you are, your holiness and your love. And to love people, love people and encourage them help them just like Jesus did. Use us to advance your purposes in the world. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name.